Well, good morning. Today we're going to take a little break from Zoss. We're going to come back and finish it up in coming weeks. But we're going to focus on something that's a very simple message. But often the simplest things are the most important. And often the simplest things are the hardest things for us to apply in our lives. And so today we're looking at this, uh, this question of identity. Remember the, uh, the song by the Who? Who are you? Remember that? Who are you? Remember that song? Who, 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 who? Remember that one? Yes, Sherry's nodding. She knows that song. Uh, and, and remember the next line? I really want to know. Who are you? I really want to know you. Well, today we're looking at the question of identity. Who are you? Now, when somebody comes to you and they ask, who are you, how do we typically respond? We say, we give them our name, right? Somebody asks me, who are you? I'm Doug McHenry. That's where we generally start. But if somebody persists and say, no, tell me a little bit more about yourself. Who, who are you? Well, then we tend to go to a couple other areas. We'll often, as adults anyway, we'll tell them what we do. I'm Doug McHenry. I'm a pastor. Or I'm John Smith. I'm a lawyer. Or, or Amy whoever, and I'm a nurse, and so on and so forth. We tell them what we do, uh, our occupation, how we make a living. That's how we tend to identify ourselves. Sometimes people will then go to their family. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm so-and-so, and, and I have three children, and I'm married, and, and they pull out the pictures, and here's, and here's my grandkids, and that's how they might answer the question of who, who, who are you. Uh, for, for those of us who maybe aren't into adulthood yet, uh, we don't have that family, we don't have a job yet, so we often identify ourselves by the activities we're involved with. Who are you? Well, I... I'm so-and-so, and I, I play basketball, or, or I, I'm a dancer, or I'm in forensics, or, or, or whatever it might be. We identify ourselves by the things we're involved with, the activities. And then there are people who might identify themselves by major accomplishments. I'm so-and-so, and, -so and I, I graduated at the top of my class, or I won state in wrestling, or I got promoted to vice president, and I'm in charge of 40 employees now. Or a major accomplishment, I once ate two dozen Krispy Kreme donuts at one sitting. Something, something like that. Who are you? Well, psychologists tell us that most of the emotional and mental health issues that people struggle with, at the core root, a lot of those things go back to identity. In other words, they don't know who they are. Or, or they base their identity on the wrong things. And we're all, we're all guilty of that at times, aren't we? And when we do that, when we base our identity on, on the wrong things, and we're not sure who we are, it can lead to all sorts of issues, and often pain and problems in relationships. Psychologist Milton Rokic wrote a book called The Three Christs of Ypsilanti, and it's a pretty well-known story. He describes his attempts to treat three patients at a psychiatric hospital in Ypsilanti, Michigan. And these three patients all suffered from the same issue. They all had delusions of grandeur. They thought they were unique people called by God to save the world and that they were, in fact, the Messiah. Well, Rokic tried to break through these delusions to, to reach them and to help them to become more healthy emotionally. And he kept running into walls. And so finally he decided to try something. He put the three of them into a, a small group, a little community, to see if bumping into each other against other people who claim to be the Messiah might kind of create some cracks in, in, in this, whole, this whole image of themselves of, as being the Messiah, this delusion, the Messiah. 
And as you, it led to some interesting conversations. One would say something like, I'm the Messiah, the Son of God, I was sent here to save the world. And Rokich, the psychiatrist, would say, well, how do you know? God told me. And one of the other patients would say, I never told you any such thing. <laughs> kind of a difficult, hard to have a breakthrough there. Now, and I think it's safe to say that nobody here this morning thinks they're the Messiah, right? No, no, no volunteers. Nobody's the Messiah. There's only one that's been taken care of. But I'm guessing that most, if not all of us, at different times, maybe now, have struggled with our, our identity. Who, who are we? And, as, and when we base our identity on the wrong things, and when we allow Satan to deceive us into thinking we're something we're not, or to trick us into building our identity upon the wrong things, maybe how we look or how much we have or, or our education or whatever it is, who we know, our gifts and abilities, it can lead to all sorts of problems. And often, sadly, tragically, a lot of the issues we have with identity can be traced back to things that people have said to us over the years. Let me try out some scripts and see if we can, you know, if you can make the, connect the dots and how this might cause a problem in somebody's life regarding their identity. You're stupid. You'll never amount to anything. You're, you better learn how to work with your hands and your back because if you have to work with your mind, you're going to starve. Now just imagine if a parent or a teacher or a coach said something similar to that over, over a matter of time. Eventually, it would be hardwired into your brain and you'd see yourself as not much more than a strong back and a weak mind. How about this one? You better develop a sense of humor. You better take care of yourself. You better lose weight because guys aren't going to want to go out with you because of your looks. Maybe this one. You better stay with me Nobody else is going to want you. You can't do better than me. You're a loser. And a woman hears this, and despite the terrible situation and the abuse, she stays because she doesn't think she deserves anything better. That's what it is. She believes it. The things that people say to us, they can linger a long, long time in our memory, and they can have a, a lasting effect on how we view ourselves and, and who we become. And who we think we are. In other words, it can have an impact upon our identity. Now, the things that people say to us don't have to necessarily be negative or cutting to wrongly affect our identity either. We, we all like to receive heartfelt compliments. When people are constantly praising us for what we do, telling us how great we are, or about our appearance, after a while we begin to, begin to shape our identity upon our performance. Or, 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 or upon our, our appearance. And that can be a very unhealthy uh, foundation for identity as well. The Bible tells us that we are to base our identity upon what God has to say about us, rather than upon what others say about us. And a big step about, upon helping make that happen in our lives is understanding who we are in the big scheme of things. The passage that Jennifer read just a second ago out of, out of Psalm 8, I'm going to read that one again. It's a short passage and a beautiful poem written by, by David. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what are mere mortals that you are mindful of them 
human beings that you care for them. You have made them a little lower than the, the angels, the heavenly beings, and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet. All flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. This uh, past summer, uh, my boys and I met up with a college buddy and his two boys, and uh, we had an adventure. We went backpacking in the Sangre de Cristo Mountains in, in Colorado. And it was an awesome experience. We, we hiked in uh, several miles, and we set up camp at, a, at an alpine lake at about 11,500 feet. So it was just close to tree line, beautiful, gorgeous lake, a mountain peak at the end of the lake, just sort of just perfect, like a triangle shape and um, a pyramid shape. Uh, lots of trees and rocks, lots of fish. It was an incredible place, beautiful, stunning place. But at night, it was, it was just jaw-dropping. It was quiet. It was, you were so close to the stars and the sky, and there weren't, there weren't any clouds, and, and you just felt so small. And, 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 and the universe looked so big. And it was just, it was just a, an incredible experience. And I think it was probably on a night something like that, that King David would have written Psalm 8. You see, as we know from the scripture, David was a shepherd when he was younger. His growing up years and through his teenage years, he would have been a shepherd, spent hours and hours upon hours in the countryside, out in nature, watching the sheep. And there were countless nights as well when he would have been looking up at the stars and, and seeing the stars and seeing the moon, seeing the, the planets and, and shooting stars and all these things. Wondering about God, thinking about his place in the universe, filled with awe. And he wrote, When I consider your heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you're mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? To paraphrase, paraphrase David, when I look at what you've created, God, and the power and beauty and creativity of who you are, who am I? as a single human being, that you care about me? Who are we as human beings that you care about us? And you've placed us in charge of all of this. There's a line of thinking in, in, in parts of our world that as human beings, we're on the same level as the rest of, of creation. That we're part of the animal kingdom and that the lives of animals are comparable to the lives of a human being. And while I love my dog, there's no comparison human life in God's estimation, in God's world, is at a whole different level. We are created with spirits. We are created for eternity. Jesus sent his son to die for us. No other thing in creation did Jesus die for. He died for us as human beings. And while we are to care for creation, we are to be stewards of creation, Psalm 8 tells us we are the crown of God's creation. In Genesis 1 and 2 states that we are created in God's image. God has created us for a, a relationship with him that will last forever. And God loves you and me with an everlasting love. So regardless of what somebody else says, and no matter how people try to stereotype you or pigeonhole you, no matter how they might try to shape your identity negatively with their words, remember this when you look at the stars and the moon at night. Even though we're a small, small speck in the universe, God cares for you. He knows you by name. 
God is thinking about you, and God loves you. Our identity is to be shaped by that, by what God has to say about us in Scripture. Another passage which should shape our identity is from 1 John 3.1. Behold what manner of love the Father has given us, that we can be called children of God, and that is what we are. We can be called children of God, and that is what we are. The Apostle John wrote this, one of Jesus' twelve disciples, and, and he knew what it was to be loved. In fact, the, the Bible tells us in several places that John was known as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, I've kind of wondered, why did he get that name? Did Jesus love John more than the others? And were the other disciples jealous of John? You remember the story where Jesus tells the disciples that you're going to die for me. You're all going to be martyred for me, except for John. He's going to die of old age. Why was that? I I don't know. But I've got a little idea about it. I think it's because maybe John got it. He, He understood it, what Jesus was about early on. Love. Thirteen times in First John, this short book in the back of the, the Bible, thirteen times he uses the phrase, dear children. And 51 times he uses the word love. It's all over the book of First John. Love for God, God's love for us, our love for each other, that's his focus. That informs his thinking and his theology and his practice in life. He got it. And you can hear it in his voice when he understands he's blown away by God's love. How great the love the Father has lavished on us. That's one of the translations. Lavish, which is not a word we use very often, is it? Lavish. It makes me think of when I was a kid, I would go to my grandmother's house and they had a huge garden. They always had lots of fresh strawberries. And I love fresh strawberries on on vanilla ice cream. And you know how as a grandkid, you always think you're the favorite, right? You always think you're the favorite. And, and she would just keep piling it on. And mom would say, no, that's enough. He's had enough. And she'd keep piling it on. Piling. She was lavishing strawberries on me, lavishing love on me. Because she was grandma and I was grandson. And she just liked to love on me. She loved to love on me. That's a picture that we have from First John. We are God's children. He is our father. And he, he lavishes his love upon us. He loves to love on us. And we see that most Significantly, most importantly, through his son, Jesus Christ, when Christ died for our sin so that we could be called children of God. And John says, and that is what you are. And we hear a lot about identity theft in the 21st century, but it's not just a 21st century phenomenon. Even though uh, when David wrote Psalm 8 and, and John wrote First John 3, even though they didn't have credit cards and social security numbers to rip off, and even though there weren't computers to hack into, identities were being stolen. Because the Bible tells us in John 10, Jesus himself tells us that Satan has come to rob and to steal. And he's come to rob and steal our identity, our relationship with Christ, our standing with Christ. He tries to steal our identity. Jesus says, I've come to give life and life more abundantly, but Satan has come to rob and to steal to try to rob our joy, to steal our peace, to take away our assurance, to tell us we're something we're not. You're a sinner beyond reach. You just as well give up. You'll never be able to change. 
This is just who you are. But Jesus says to us, you're a sinner, yes, but you're not beyond reach. I love you and I've died for you. You are my child. You are my friend. You don't have to be here anymore. You can be with me forever. And John's words in 1 John 3, 1 are like lifelock in a sense. The kind of seal our identity. You are a child of God. That is what you are. Who are you? I'm Doug McHenry, and I'm a pastor. I'm the son of Dwayne and Marie McHenry. I'm the wife, or wife, I'm the husband. <laughs> Sometimes she's the one who wears the pants, so, you know. Uh, I, I'm, the, I'm the husband of Nancy. I, I'm the father of, of J.D. And, and Anna and Reed and, and Abigail, who's in heaven now. I'm a graduate of Clifton Clyde High School and of the University of Kansas and of North Park Seminary in Chicago. I am a sinner, but I'm also a child of God. Uh, and that's my identity. I am a child of God. Who, who are you? I hope that your answer would be, I'm this, I'm that, I'm married to so-and-so, this is what I do. But at the core, at the core, you are a child of God. That is, that is what you are. And don't let anybody, anybody ever do anything to try to take that away, diminish that, erode it, cause you to doubt it. Behold what manner of love the Father has lavished on us. We can be called the children of God. And that is what you are. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great love for us. And Lord, we, um, uh, we admit to you that we, we so often struggle with basing our identity upon the wrong things. Sometimes they're not bad things. It's okay to take pride in certain things and accomplishments and our family and relationships and achievements. But that's not what is, is to define us. That's what's not to be at the core of who we are. We know that, Lord, and help us when we struggle with that. Help us, Lord, to know without a doubt um, that we are the crown of your creation, that we are created in your image, that we are children of God and that you have lavished love upon us. And may that knowledge, Lord, keep us humble, but may it also keep us confident, not in ourselves, but in you, because you're our Father. And you're a Father that's bigger and greater and more powerful and more loving and, 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 and good and better than any other other father. So we thank you, Lord, for the gift of being called your children. Help us to live out of that. In Jesus' name, amen.